All right, you guys, welcome back. This is episode two, and uh, I'm excited to have a guest today. You guys got to hear me talk uh, all day yesterday, and uh, it got real interesting, but it was a lot of fun. Um, This is a brand new podcast, brand new idea, literally kind of been working on it, but thought of it yesterday and was like, let's do this thing. And then I reached out uh, to a friend and a co-business owner that I'm connected to. And I said, Hey, yes, I'd love to have you on. And uh, so I'm going to introduce her now. My guest today is Ashley Bledsoe, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. She's saying hi, and I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell a little bit about her business. And then we'll dive into kind of the rest of the podcast. Ashley, take it away. Yeah. So my name is Ashley Bledsoe. I'm a resident here in Wiley. I actually own and operate a hydromulching business that I started back in 2016. Um, I'm married to the love of my life. He um, has a daughter. She is 13 going on 22. So we are a happily blended family. And um, yeah, we just, we love where we're at right now currently in life. That is incredible. I love the family side of it. I talked a little bit about that as well. And I think that that's an element that uh, we're, we're, we're people, you know, like we're business owners, but you know, we're also people like we have lives outside of the business. <laughs> and uh, so it's always important. And they're, and they're a big portion of uh, most of our why, uh, why we do what we do. And we chose to not do the nine to five and work, you know, the five to midnight. That's what we chose. <laughs> right. We um, our trade in the nine to five for the 24 seven. There you go. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. More truth than that than anything. Um, so Ashley, tell us a little bit about, um, just the kind of, where did the entrepreneur dream or the business side of you come from? I mean, you know, and I don't, I honestly don't know a ton of you. I don't really know what you did before Bledsoe Hydromolts and you don't have to go super deep in that if you want, but you know, what was the moment that you sat there and go, I don't want to do what I'm currently doing now, or I want something different. And where did that come from? At what, what point of your life was that? Right. Um, so that was definitely a, a pivotal moment in my life. I like to say that businesses are kind of born out of one of two things, and that's either inspiration or desperation. And for me personally, the hydromulching business was a thousand percent born out of desperation. And it's not like I had previous knowledge or expertise in this field to where I felt confident to start it. We were literally driving down 78, uh, going to a family function. My husband had worked in the oil field for eight years. He was stationed in Alaska and Prudhoe Bay, um, very comfortable where we were at in our lives. I had bartended for many, many years previously, but there was a four year gap where I hadn't worked in a while because thankfully he was making a good amount of income in the oil field. And I was able to take a step back um, from work and, and not bartend anymore, but going to this family function, um, the big boss calls and, you know, that's never really good. So we have to quite literally pull over and it was just before an election. So the oil field kind of always takes a dip just before election and things weren't really going too great in the industry at the time. And um, long story short, he got laid off. So we're sitting on the side of 78, just in our thoughts, like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do right now? So we go to the family function and I'm actually venting to a family friend and he owns a hydromulching business out in Van. And he suggested, you know, look, I don't know where you're at currently, financially, if y'all have any savings, but if you were able to start a hydromulching business being woman owned, um, the government literally throws jobs your way being a woman owned business. And 
I get a lot of calls out in that area, but I don't service that area and there's virtually no competition. So my first question was, what is hydromulch? So I go down this huge rabbit hole of research, um, kind of chew on it for a few days and I run it past my husband like, you know, I think this is something I may want to pursue. And he thinks about it for a few days and he's like, okay, you know, if that's what you want to do, do it. And he had just gotten a job as a mechanic at Premier. So he was doing that. And I was just kind of taking the reins with Hydromulch. So I decided I need to know what I'm talking about. Went through yeah. um, a trade school at the University of Georgia, got certified through National Association of Landscape Professionals. I've uh, been a longstanding member of the International Association of Hydroseeding Professionals and literally hit the ground running. Um, you know, that, that is a, uh... And it's a lot. I mean, it's, you know, to have that happen, you know, we kind of joked about even this podcast, you know, I think us as that's that entrepreneur spirit. Like when you, Just go. you, you talk about the idea and you have the moment of, okay, let me, let me process it. Let me think about it. But then we have, and I think that sometimes it's almost our fault, but then it's also good at the same time in the right moments that we have that. Yeah. All gas, no breaks. Like we think about it for a moment and then go, yeah. And then we just run. And that was the same thing with this podcast. When I texted you yesterday, I said, yeah, and I want to record it tomorrow. And you're like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, it sounds great. Um, but that's, that's incredible. And I mean, obviously it, you know, it's working, right? So that's, uh, yeah. that, that's awesome. And I, I agree with you that that's where I think most of us, I think there's some that, you know, maybe we're born into something that they just kind of naturally inherited a business or something along those lines. But I think most of us have a moment in our life one way or the other that we go, I want something or need something to give or different. And then that's where it kind of is birth from. I completely agree with you. What was, what was your first steps? I mean, obviously you mentioned you had to go to you know trade school and you had to get some certifications, things like that. So those were, you know, your obvious first steps you kind of had to have those things, but when it was time to launch, when it was time to take it to market, what did that look like? I mean, did you have this drafted, you know, vision, vision board or business plan? Did you sit back, you know, and we didn't maybe have Canva then, but did you go start making logos? Like what were your first like couple of steps? Um, actually, no, no logo making, none of that. So I did, I'm very much pen and paper. I'm very old school. I think I can give credit to my father for that. Just um, very old school when it comes to certain things in that aspect. But I did very much kind of start with an almost impossible goal. Um, and I essentially reverse engineered that to develop the steps to take to reach said impossible goal. Yeah. And I figured if I reach ridiculously high towards something that in my brain is just completely insane and not obtainable um, for me personally, that I'm going to fall exactly where I want to fall and, and be successful in, in my realm of what I've envisioned success to be. So I kind of reverse engineered my process from to, from end to start, so to speak. Okay. And, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a great way to look at it. I think that we sometimes get caught up in that first couple of steps. And I think that that's where uh, a lot of, and I don't want to call them entrepreneurs, but that's what some people would call them is that they have all the ideas and they have, and they're great, but they get stuck in that, like the baby steps. Like I need a, I need a marketing strategy. I need a business plan. I need a loan. I need, and they get caught up in that one, two step and never make right. it to three or four when realistically, if they would have started with eight and then worked their way back, uh, I think sometimes it makes a clearer plan. So that's, 
it's smarter to do it that way, I think. And I think that you were right on track kind of going that route. And, you know, I think that we, we, we get caught up in the, when we switched our logo, I'm, I'm wearing it right now, but when we switched our logo, um, I knew for a fact that I would get in the way of it um, because it's, it's an over-processing thought for me. And that's why we decided to hire somebody. You know, we decided to go, so even though we do graphic design, we are like, nope, we're going to stay out of it. We're going to go hire a team. And we did and had all these variations. And then we limited it down to what we wanted to do. So we, sometimes you just have to get out of your own way as a business yeah. owner, I think. Um, what, what did your now it's time to go get business, right? Like you've got the things and you've got kind of the backwards process. What did that look like? You know, now you have the things and you need to go make some money. Um, what did that look like in the very beginning? How did you go? How did you secure your first client or two? Good question. So I'm not sure how good this story or advice is going to be now, because as you mentioned earlier, things have changed. We are very much ideologically driven now versus when I started back in 2016 and I had to pound the pavement. I literally went knocking on landscaping companies doors around here um, that were by appointment only. And I'm sitting there knocking like, hi, uh, can you open the door? I just want to talk real quick, five minutes and would introduce myself. They're like, who is this crazy lady? But I'm like, I'm a local resident here in Wiley. I'm starting a hydro mulching business and, you know, just kind of took it from there and literally went out forcing myself to meet these other business owners so that they knew, Hey, there's uh, some hydromulchin lady here. Now that way, if they got a call and they didn't know who to send that business to, then they would at least know of me to try and find me. And um, it worked really well. And I found kind of an old school tactic of brochures, just having something tangible to give mm-hmm. them. even if they didn't want to talk, well, okay, here's a quick brochure. Call me if, if you have any questions or want to speak further. Um, and that worked really well too. I would have landscaping companies reach out sometimes a year later and say, you know, I remember you swinging by our office and I, I had to dig out your brochure, um, but I'm glad I found it because I have a large commercial project I need done in a week, <laughs> you know, so old school. And you're like, let I, me check the schedule. You know what? We happen to be yeah. open that day. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. No, that's, that's the, that's the grit and the grind. I mean, that is honestly it. Yeah. No, I, I, and I freaking love that. I mean, to, to be able to go do that, that's another step that I think people get caught up in. They have the idea, they put the things in place and then they go, wait, I got to make money. Like I have to actually get sales. Like how do, yeah. and then that's what holds them up. And I think that the difference maker is the ones who are willing to do the hard things that it's not the glamorous side of being a business owner and launching a business. The glamorous side is like, Oh, my bank account looks real good and I get toys and like all this other stuff. But I think the back end of that is like the, that story of like, I was out making people unlock their doors to talk to me. Like that's, that's the stuff that makes it happen. So what, how did that really, you know, you talked about it changing, you know, obviously that, that changes over time. Like as you develop, processes and you start making relationships, you know, referrals start coming, things like that. But what, you know, what really changed in kind of that, I guess, going to market strategy, you know, what does that look like fast forwarding? Um, you know, you just have to stay adaptive with the time. So quite literally almost everything has changed. It went from me pounding the pavement and worrying about how I'm going to make it through winter you know, how I'm going to pay my crews. And, and, you know, you have to kind of have that forward thinking because business is not always, you know, coming steadily and, and through the door, um, you have to be concerned with winter. And, and so that was something that I had to 
adapt with were the times and technology and how do I make hydromulching relevant to the World Wide Web. And, you know, with now everybody kind of has what I like to call squirrel brain. Um, Things need to happen in like two to three second intervals because you don't maintain their attention. So I've had to learn that, how to capture people's attention quickly and get them interested in hydromulching in the process within a matter of three seconds. So I would say it's very much changed towards the, towards technology. Um, and that is very much, um, something we gravitate towards to spread awareness, not just brand awareness, but business awareness too. Do you come across a lot of people that I know before I, I met you and, and learned about what you did? I mean, I think you have a lot of folks out there, and I'm sure you all deal with this, that they don't even know what you do. Like, they don't know what that means. Yes, thousand percent. <laughs> Every day. That was, um, the biggest hurdle, not necessarily with commercial jobs, because city workers, government employees are well-versed with what hydromulching right. is. It's been around for 50 years. We did not create the wheel. We have perfected it. I have yeah. perfected this, you know, slurry and the ingredients and, you know, the ratios to where it is, the room for error is eliminated on our end. That is how we quickly built a reputation of being some of the best in the DFW area and in North Texas. Um, but it was spreading awareness to residential homeowners because typically when you look outside your window and see your lawn declining, you think either sod or Home Depot seed, which is, you know, not the cleanest seed. It is mixed with a lot of inert matter and noxious weeds. So you're actually installing weeds and not what you want. Um, So it's not ideal. So letting them know, hey, we're here. This is an option to either install a new lawn or rejuvenate an ugly one um, was the biggest hurdle initially for sure. Okay. And that was, that leads right into my next question. And that may, you may have already answered it, but yeah, I mean, what would that be your kind of number one challenge you kind of faced in your first year or so? I mean, trying to overcome that hurdle of really education, or would you say there's some other things? I think we probably have a list that I I know I do. (laughs) um, Education I assumed was going to be my biggest hurdle. Um, Not only just for me gaining it and acquiring it to be an expertise in, in my field, Um, or to have that expertise in my field, but to also educate potential customers. But um, it was really mother nature was the biggest hurdle that was unexpected. Year one, it was a monsoon that year. And that is how I know for sure that our application can withstand up to 2.2 inches of torrential downpours um, in a 24 hour period. So that has, that was definitely a big hurdle. And each year it kind of birthed a new challenge that I was not anticipating. You know, they say when you make plans, God laughs. Well, God was definitely laughing and he was sending, you know, the army worms and the flood like rains and the mold, um, things that I had read about in school, but I hadn't dealt with in the field. So that field experience um, was challenging, but it also forced me to grow and, and develop more knowledge as well. Sure. No, and I think that that's, and you answered kind of the next question is kind of what, what did you do about it? What did you, and that was exactly it. I think that we have, I talked about curveballs in my episode, you know, and that's exactly like you cannot sometimes affect outside things. You can't, you know, you can do your best. Like let's talk about employees, right? Like you have employees or, you know, and you can do your best to try to create a good environment and ensure that they stay. You have a good compensation package. You have a, you know, a path for growth for them. You can do all the things, but you still cannot 
absolutely know for certain that another company is not going to make them a better offer. And then you lose your rock star. I mean, it's the same thing like that. You, there's no way you can read the farmer's almanac and everything else. And there's still no way for you to know that that's going to happen in a single day or a single week. And you just have to learn from it. It's mm-hmm. how you react in that situation. And you took it as a, well, now we know. Now it's a fact that we can add to our pamphlet to say, we yeah. know <laughs> that this will be fine. <laughs> I mean, it's, it goes back to adaptability and just yeah. being able to um, transition a challenge into a learning learning experience and grow from that. Sure. No. And what was your kind of fast forward a little bit, you know, we're, we're kind of going past your first and second, maybe third year. I mean, but the growth side of it, you know, obviously you had every business owner has big goals. They have a number on the board somewhere and they go, this was 2016. This was now 2019. Now we're going to 2020. You know, we all have these certain goals and we know that we have to do certain things, whether it be market advertise more, it'd be hire people, it'd be do different things, whatever that, what did that look like going into kind of your midway point of where we're at now? What did your, how did your plan or marketing advertising growth plan? How, what did that look like and how did it kind of change getting into those, uh, that, those middle years? What did you guys do? Oh, and yes, boy, did it change from 2019 to 2020. Um, but I think it changed for everybody during that time. (laughs) Yeah, I sure did. Uh, talk about adaptability. Uh, but you know, initially it was, you know, my impossible goal was having multiple large machines and they're what I call the Mac daddy machines. They are a two story tower with a spray gun off the top. Um, incredibly, it's a, it's a very incredibly expensive piece of machinery. Um, but that was the goal. I wanted multiple of those so that I could crank out large commercial jobs, like many at a time quick and, and, you know, get that, get that return faster. And, um, so 2019 going into 2020, that was my goal was to make enough that year to where I can own outright one of these large machines. And then the pandemic happened and everything got shut down. So, Goal goes on pause. Now, you know, it's only essential businesses. Um, We were, you know, working with government and the city. So we were able to perform contact free installations. No one has to be there to install a new road. It's quite literally us and the hydrant. Um, So we were still able to perform commercial jobs, certain contact free jobs for residential homeowners. But that time was so devastating that people weren't really focusing on their lawn. Um, So you know, we really had to pivot our focus and focus on the challenges and the struggles and how are we going to help and how can we provide aid and help get through this time. And then, um, you know, fast forward post the pandemic world opens up, then we have inflation and material prices skyrocket and our cheapest, you know, costing material quickly becomes our most expensive you know, piece of material. And, um, it was devastating for us. And then, you know, everything gets stuck on shipping with containers out in the middle of the ocean. Mm -hmm. That was another challenge. And it's like, okay, how are we going to get the, get the material here in time? So it was just challenge after challenge after challenge. And you just, you know, continuously pivot and you go with it. You know, you just learn to anticipate those curveballs. It's kind of like, okay, what next? What, what are we getting through now? And then um, finally, after getting through those, that really just put us on the map, not only commercially, but residentially, um, because we were able to make it 
through those challenging times. Um, and I watched a lot of close businesses fail and, and not have that sustainability and that proper business model or even being able to roll with the punches and, and, you know, and pivot like we were saying. But um, so eventually after that was when I was able to make that transition to acquire a larger machine and take on those bigger jobs. So it took me longer to reach that goal, but um, 2019 to 2020 was definitely a challenging time as far yeah, as and I think it, I, had I think it was for everybody too. Yeah. I, I think that you're, and you saw the difference in, um, and there were a lot of great businesses that didn't make it, you know, it, 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 yeah. it wasn't always for lack of planning or lack of adaptability. I think that that was a big component. Um, but I think there were some that just the sheer nature of their business, they couldn't, you know, it didn't matter what they did. You know, you saw some of the restaurants really pivot and try to start doing to go and contact, you know, less delivery or pickup. Um, you saw most of the restaurants, you know, in Texas that they passed the thing where they could do to go alcohol and, you know, it was like that can help us stay afloat. But I think everyone had to, I mean, that's when we launched, you know, and it was, and it was, (laughs) probably the dumbest time to start a business on paper. Um, but you know, the, the realistic side of it was because we took that risk, there were so many business owners that got what we did and they're like, this is the time that we need to kind of double down on marketing and advertising. Like we need to push the envelope. We need people to know we're here. So they come and shop and buy and, you know, use our services. And so it was a, it was a pivotal, pivotal time for every single business and that you guys use that time to, almost kind of focus more on the government and city side that again, you kind of gain that reputation of like these folks delivered when others couldn't or wouldn't. Um, They made the changes and made themselves compatible with what we need. Um, And that's what separates. I think that's what separates in the, you know, what do they call it? Cream rises to the top. Right. And like, that's, that's exactly what you guys did and did in that moment. And so you made a reputation for that. When you guys, you know, as you grow, um, you know, and business grows and, you know, there's, I mean, there's so many different elements there. What challenges did you guys face? I mean, obviously fast forwarding past COVID, it could be something, you know, obviously during COVID, but what challenges, right? Like that, did you start facing? I mean, you mentioned the machinery. I don't know if there were some jobs that you were like, yes, we can do that, but it's going to take us five days. And if we had the machine, it was one, but we haven't purchased it yet. You know, something along those lines that I just like for people to be able to hear that as we hit that growth stage, it's new challenges. It's maybe not the marketing and advertising. It's the, it's the bigger pieces that were like, never been down this road and got to figure it out. I think, um, the challenge there was having to turn down jobs that I wasn't able to do quite yet. I was with that gained awareness and people finally learning that we're here and we're capable of doing these jobs. I wasn't capable of doing every scope of job and as enticing as a lot of these jobs were. And yes, I wanted to be able to fulfill that. Um, I wasn't able to, and I would have to turn down certain jobs because I didn't have the machinery yet to be able to fulfill it uh, in a timely manner and compete with also the pricing. So I think that was a challenge too, was kind of having to swallow that and accept that kind of checking my pride and, and being able to say no, because you have to also know when to turn down a job and when it's not going to be conducive to your growth and to your business. And one thing my father always told me was never accept a job that you could potentially go under for if they don't pay you in time, because just for working with city officials and government jobs, they're typically, you know, 30, 90, 
one time I didn't get paid till a year later. You know, they were a, a full year out. Uh, wow. They didn't put that in the contract, but you know, you have to anticipate not getting paid for quite a while with some of these jobs that you accept. And so that was one thing I really uh, took to heart and I really heeded that advice. And um, that was one of the challenges that I had to quickly learn and accept was in order to get to where I wanted to be and have that machine to accept these jobs. Sometimes I had to turn some down and say no to a client. And I think that that's huge. It really is to, to be able to, you said something super key there that you have to learn and it's a, it's a constant learning curve, but it's determining what to, and I said this yesterday, I was relating it to something a little bit different, but it applies across the board for business owners and entrepreneurs is that you have to know when to say yes. And you have to know when to say no. Um, and I was applying it to some of the giving back that we do, um, because that it opens a Pandora's box of everybody needs something and you want to be able to help everybody, but you, you know, at the end of the day, you can't, but for you guys, you could have said yes to some of those things and you could have even let them know, Hey, it's going to take us a little bit longer, you know, or maybe a little bit pricier, you know, but they liked you and they decided to use you. And the problem with that is, is that you get a negative reputation is that now you're classified as the folks that they take twice as long. They were more expensive. Maybe the product was great, but that's not everything that people usually remember. They remember right. all of the little things. Um, and even though you delivered a fantastic job, and I know that coming from you know my construction days, is we could have delivered a phenomenal final product, maybe better than they even asked for. But at the end of the day, they would remember that we left a bundle of shingles sitting by the driveway and didn't pick them up for a day, you yeah. know, or they would remember that we forgot to lock a gate back. You know, I mean, the little bitty things that absolutely we own it and we we're sorry, you know, we probably gave them a gift card or something for it, but that's what they remembered. And that's what they left out there. And it very easily, it could have changed the entire course of y'all's business going out there and kind of business grabbing. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it would wind up hurting you guys in the long run to, to have the forethought of pause. I would love your job give me another 12 or 24 months and then we're coming back and we're taking it all. You know, that's, that's incredible to have that forethought. I think more people need to think that way than, uh, than not. Tell us a little bit about next steps. What are you guys wanting? What are the Bledsoe's up to and what's next for you guys as business owners and entrepreneurs? What's next for Bledsoe Hydromilts? Whatever you want to tell us, we want all of the tea. Well, um, yeah, we've are finally, thankfully, um, able to kind of let the hydro mulching business just continue to be a well-oiled machine. It is, we're very pleased with where it is at currently and the growth. It's just the trajectory is, is just incredible right now. So we've actually kind of been able to take a step back and focus on another stream of income. So we just launched a second business, which is completely different. It is an apparel printing company called Inked Impressions. So now I can cover everything from grass to garments. <laughs> Look at that. You have a tagline for the segue. I mean, yeah. like you, that's, I mean, I feel like that's the pitch from now on, you know, we've got everything from grass to garments. Okay. I love that. So where briefly, we don't have to dive too deep into that, but where did that come from? I mean, to go from that one extreme to the other, uh, to go from, you know, hydro mulch and having that and it's running. And I love that you said it's a well oiled machine. I think that some entrepreneurs make, we're, we're scatterbrained a little bit. We can be, we're very, um, ambitious is what yeah. I would say. And we're the visionaries. And I think a lot of times we need that. My counterpart is my wife where she checks me and goes, have you thought this through? Like, have you paused for a moment and really thought, but you know, I think that we get a business to a certain point to where it becomes 
a, a machine is that, you know, it still needs some attention. It still needs love. But at the end of the day, that's how all businesses should be at some point. But walk us through that. What, what did that moment look like? How did you have the random idea and go, I want to start an apparel company? Um, well, kind of circling back to what we said at the beginning about businesses kind of being birthed out of inspiration or desperation. I'd say this one was more towards the inspiration. I was inspired to start it because I saw a certain niche or um, a calling in this certain market. It was during um, the Crosstown Showdown. I was upset that I couldn't go get, you know, Wiley wear, just some Wiley wear, not necessarily spirit wear, um, but just something, you know, Wiley related to show where we're from, where the community represent the community, um, things like that. So I was like, why is there not a hub locally to provide that um, readily available service, whether it's cranking out some Wiley wear to support our community and the town we live in or your business. And I can customize your shirts for your business and things like that. So I was like, light bulb, you know, just provide that. Why don't I provide that? Why don't I do that? And so I started going down a rabbit hole of research and looking at equipment and what it would cost to have equipment manufactured. What do you need to have to produce high quality garments with longevity. Mm-hmm. And my husband was, he's always supported of my kind of, as you were saying, the ADD entrepreneurial spirit that we have. And he's just always like, yeah, you know, do it. And so he trusts and I, and I love him for that. Your husband is an incredible guy. And I, every time I get to be around him, I, he just cracks me up. He's got a good attitude and a good spirit. Oh, yeah. And you can see Very that supportiveness. Positive. He's, he's supportive of, the folks around you too, you know, we get to interact with you on, you know, on a regular basis, different networking groups and just being involved. And, you know, every time I get to see him, like, he's just like, Oh, that's awesome. And this is awesome. And he's excited about what you guys have going. Yeah. He's a, I think it's great support systems are, you know, and champions, cheerleaders, whatever you want to call them. He probably doesn't want to be called a cheerleader. I mean, but we can call yeah. him that. He might be down for that. No, but I think you're, you're exactly right. Same path. I mean, you're, we have those two different sides of businesses being birthed, you know, the, it comes from different places and you saw a gap. You saw that there was a need, that there was no one filling it, and you jumped at it. You know, so I think that again, I'm and I'm excited. You know, I like my T-shirt, so like we need to have yes. a, you know another a conversation too because I've been having to outsource these things. I'm tired of that, so we need to have a conversation Hello. there. Yes, shop local and buy and all the things local for sure. What is um and as we're we're kind of closing out and wrapping up, what is one piece of advice? That if you had to, and you've given us already a bunch, but what is, if you had to give one single piece of advice to a young entrepreneur or a business leader or someone wanting to start something, what would that one piece of advice be? What would that look like? Oh, okay. So one piece of advice I would say, and I'm going to recycle some advice that was given to my husband um, from one of his closest friends. And we applied that to our businesses. Um, And it is, don't touch it. Don't touch your money. Put it all back into the business for the first three years, if you can, five years. I think that's where a lot of people, not necessarily fail, but kind of veer off initially is maybe they have a high enough goal set, but you know, once you start getting profit and have the dollars coming in, sometimes 
they think, oh, I need a new truck. I got to get a new truck. Um, that way clients know that I'm serious. I need to get a new truck. We need to get it wrapped. We need to invest in all of these things. Um, that way the business will grow. And that's not always necessarily the case. You don't need you know, a hundred thousand dollar loan to start a business. We literally just sold the pool table and the bar and the chairs. And we used that $2,000 to start a business. Um, so yep. it's really your, your game plan and everything. So my advice would be don't touch it for the first three to five years um, and really have a solid game plan going into it. If I could give one piece of advice. No, I think that's uh that's a winner. I mean, that's one of those. And, uh, you know, you've heard a little bit of my story. I mean, but that's, you know, when we've started, when I started my construction company, I was a kid, you know, I was still in high school or coming out of high school and, um, oh boy, did we do it wrong. Um, and you know, we went to probably 50 Rangers games. I had the new truck, you know, we were just balling on a budget. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but the reality was, is that I was not smart. Um, and that I was not projecting for growth and I was not planning for taxes. And, you know, we got, I was fortunate that those, those things were all taken care of and we never got any type of trouble or had any, you know, liens or anything like that. You know, we, we did what we needed to do, but you, you learn, and I think you've got, you grow through that. And I don't care if you were 18, 19, like me or 38 or 40 or whatever it is, you know, you have to sit back and you have to plan. And I don't mean just rainy day. I mean, to take a business from, you know, inception, birthing, taking it to market, and then having a growth trajectory, you have to have revenue available because you do not know pandemic. You don't know rainy season. You don't know for me, you know, clients drop off or we go through a cycle of we need to buy equipment for a job that, you know, it, it has to happen. It's a huge paying job. It's maybe different than you buying a big machine and it just didn't make sense yet or the revenue wasn't there. Like, you know, in our case, sometimes we have these big projects that pop up that we're like, man, we need these type of lighting or this type of, you know, this or that. And if we weren't smart and planned for that and thought about that in the beginning, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs do that. We're so ambitious that the minute we see a measure of success, we're like, let's go crazy, you know, and we want to show off a little bit, you know, and I, I, you know, not all of us are that way. I mean, but to a certain degree, we're like, we go out with the friends. We're like the first rounds on me. You know I mean? We, we have those moments where, you know, we want to enjoy kind of the fruits of our labor. And I think that too, in moderation is totally fine, which is probably the best piece of advice for all of life. In moderation is probably fine. But having a a measure of control and knowing where you want to go next, I think is super important. I think that's, you nailed it right there, having that measure of control because so quickly everybody wants to jump to the reasoning of, oh, well, this is, you know, you got to have that work-life balance, right? You know, I'm doing this to balance my work life because I, I pour so heavily into my, you know, and, and I'm so, I feel like that's such an oversaturated and overused saying yeah. and very balance is a lie for the most part. I mean, it, it there's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think you were a hundred percent correct on the learning to measure and um, that control and, right. and, and have that from the beginning. Completely agree. Ashley, thank you so much for being on here. We'll make sure that we tag some socials and things like that if you guys want to check out Bledsoe Hydromulch and you want to check out Inked Impressions. But I appreciate you being on technically like the 
launch episode. Mine was, you know, boring and things. This one was actually good. I got to talk to somebody else. They didn't have to hear my voice the entire time. So thank you so much for coming on, especially being last minute. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. And this kind of goes out to everyone else that's out there watching. Ideally, our our audience is going to be entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, business owners. Um, if you're interested in being on, if you're interested in coming on and telling your story, if you have a story to tell, you know, we're, we're looking for folks and you can message us and reach out to us on whatever platform you may be watching this. And we'll do our best to respond in a timely manner. But once again, Ashley with uh, Bledsoe Hydro Mulch, I appreciate you coming on with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. We'll see you later.